championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com post-game show. The Lakers do fall to the Milwaukee Bucks. Ended up being a little bit closer than I thought it was going to be at certain points in this game. But at the end, the Lakers do lose 109-102. to Actually, a lot to get into, both on the positive side and the negative in this game as we break down exactly what happened and why and get into some of the narratives. Again, there's, there's a lot of good from this one, a lot of bad too. And let's talk about exactly why we, why we wound up where we did as you can see it's a show it's a solo show just me if you guys want to find me on twitter you can find me at trevor underscore lane and on instagram at trevor lane nba uh but as i always say when we do these solo shows it's never really just me it's me and all of you so if you're coming in from youtube from facebook from twitter welcome in let's talk some lakers basketball if you listen to the podcast version of this maybe tomorrow or something like that make sure you do subscribe over on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever it is that you listen to podcasts so the lakers fall 109 to 102 in milwaukee first game of a five game road trip just looking at the stats here anthony davis 18 points nine boards four assists two blocks nine of 15 shooting that stat line sounds okay the optics of the game, not okay for Anthony Davis. We'll get into that in just a minute. Russell Westbrook, 19 points, 15 assists. My goodness, Russ, 15 assists, 7 for 16 shooting, 2 of 5 from deep, and only 3 turnovers. I thought he had 4 at halftime. Somehow he lost a turnover. But uh, 3 turnovers on the night for Russell Westbrook, that's actually a pretty big deal that I'm going to get into as well. Taylor Horton Tucker, THT, Dynamite. 12 boards for THT to go along with 25 points. 9 for 18 shooting, 3 of 6 for 3. Where are all the people who said the Lakers were crazy for paying Taylor Horton Tucker this offseason? He has been phenomenal since coming back for the Lakers. Great stuff for him and certainly a bright spot for the team. But outside of that, not much else to talk about here in terms of production. 2 for 8 for 3 from Carmelo Anthony. 10.6 boards for him. He loses some of his powers away from the Staples Center, soon to be the Crypto.com Arena. The Crypt? I don't know. That's going to take some getting used to. But Malik Monk, 4 for 10. 1 for 7 from 3. Ouch. Between Malik Monk and Wayne Ellington, the Lakers, those two players, two for 14 from three off the bench. That is a big problem and something that uh, hopefully gets fixed soon. But Malik Monk, four for 10, but one for seven from deep, 11 points. And then jumping over to the Buck side. Yikes. 47 points. 47 points for Giannis Antetokounmpo on 18 of 23 shooting. You can't do that. You can't allow that to happen and expect to win a basketball game. And again, some of that does fall on Anthony Davis, which again, we will talk about. Nine boards, three assists, one steal, one block, four turnovers for Giannis. 16 points for Chris Middleton on four for 12 shooting. He didn't shoot that great in his first game back from COVID protocols. Bobby Portis dropped 17 as well. Another thing that you can't allow if you are the Lakers. And then Pat uh, Connaughton came in, Connaughton came in and hit 16 Points on four of eight from three. Yeah. So the Lakers, they not only gave up a huge game to Giannis, but they also had to bear the burden of a few role players really chipping in. Now, Chris Middleton, again, did not have a Chris Middleton-esque game. And so maybe that kind of balances out. Like Bobby Portis had a bigger game than you would expect. Chris Middleton didn't. Maybe those two things average out. But you let Giannis go absolutely nuclear. And, and the Lakers didn't quite 
step up and do what they needed to do in order to not necessarily stop him because let's face it you're not going to stop him but make life a little bit more difficult and part of that is personnel based part of that is because if you saw in this game the lakers were pretty small at, at some key moments where they just didn't have another big body to put in there uh you don't really have that power forward type so we saw a lot of situations where the lakers were running a big whether it was anthony davis dwight howard even deandre jordan got minutes in there another thing we need to talk about but the Lakers would have a big and then essentially four guards out on the floor. And the only time they didn't was when Carmelo Anthony was in the game. And he provides some size. Like, he's a big dude. Played 32 minutes. But he's not quite what you need defensively as a as a four there against a player like Giannis. So that has a little bit of a, a problem, too. And that's part of why we saw Giannis really go berserk like this one. All right, let me get into some of your questions and comments because I've got a bunch of things on my list that we need to talk about, some things that are must. Again, some positive. It's not all negative. Some positives, but some negatives too. But I have a feeling, chat, you guys are always pretty good at coming up with some of the key points in this game. So I have a feeling that a lot of the stuff that I need to talk about anyway, you guys are already saying. So let's see. Let's see what we've got here. Somebody said this is clearly a matchup issue. Somebody else asked, Kevin Arthurs from Facebook asked, what's up with our rebounding issues? You know what? Rebounding-wise, given everything, the Lakers were bad. 52 rebounds for the Bucs, 48 for the Lakers. 11 offensive boards for the Lakers, 9 for the Bucs. The Lakers' big problem is they've been getting crushed on the offensive boards, and I didn't think they did that tonight. They, I mean, the numbers say they didn't, but part of the rebounding issue is what I was just talking about. The fact that the Lakers might have a maybe a little bit of an advantage at the five position, depending on who's in there in terms of size. Or if you're running AD at the four, then you have a, a matchup advantage there in terms of size. You can have Dwight and Anthony Davis next to each other. But the rest of your positions, you're all at a height disadvantage on most nights, on most nights. And we saw that play out a few times. We saw one play uh, where Pat Connaughton went up over three Lakers guards and tipped the ball back for a wide open Bucks three that they buried off of an offensive rebound. That's a problem. This team is just small. They're small. You've got, again, you've got a few bigs, and when they're in, okay, but at the other positions, you're small. Smaller than we've seen in seasons past, and that's created some problems on the offensive boards. And part of that is also technique, where the team's just not paying enough attention to boxing out. But tonight, I didn't think that was a huge issue. It was an issue in terms of defending Giannis, but in rebounding, I thought they actually did okay, given who was out there. All right, I got a super chat coming in here. Uh, Carlo Sion said, why do they stop playing zone? It was working. Carlo, you're reading my mind. I know. The zone was working. I didn't think the Bucs had really figured it out completely, and they went away from it. And I think that was one of the key moments that uh, cost them this game. I think in this game there were three moments, three moments that cost them this game, or three periods of the game that, um, that really cost them, and that was the second portion of the second half so the the final six minutes or so of the second quarter i should have said second quarter not second half so the final six minutes or so of the second quarter were a problem the the final four or the first two minutes of the fourth and then when they went away from the zone defense i thought those three areas of the game were the biggest concern here for the lakers and let's start uh, let's start with the last six minutes of the second quarter. Oh, here we go. And this plays into it. Uh, Arts and Allah from YouTube said, Fire Frank Vogel, his rotation in key moments is terrible. Like the beginning of the fourth. Why would he use that dumb lineup? Okay, let's let's go right to that then. 
Okay, I'll talk about the end of the second quarter in just a bit, but let's go to the start of the fourth quarter. Frank Vogel puts out a lineup that was Rajon Rondo, DeAndre Jordan, Kent Bazemore, Malik Monk, and I want to say it was Wayne Ellington, I believe. The bottom line is it was no Russ, no THT, no Anthony Davis. Who do you have to create? Nobody. Nobody to create offense. And I think the hope was that defensively, maybe they could get enough stops to where you could kind of hold the Bucs even. Well, they didn't. Unfortunately, what wound up happening is they were down only two going into the fourth quarter. By the time the Lakers took a timeout, they were down five. So they gave up three extra points there. But you also blew a major opportunity because Giannis was on the bench. The Bucs were missing. The Bucs were struggling to figure out some offense and the Lakers couldn't take advantage of it. So you can say, oh, that unit was only a minus three, but they shouldn't have been on the floor, period. Not if you want to win that game. You can't put that lineup out on the floor and say, seriously, we want to win this basketball game. There's no realm in which that is a good idea, putting that unit out there on the floor because they can't score points. You don't have anybody who can create for that group as weird as it was even having DeAndre Jordan and Kent Bazemore out on the floor together who had been banished to the bench. And Bazemore was 0 for 3 and was left wide open the second he was put on the floor by the Bucks, and he missed all his shots. He proved why he was so open out there. DeAndre Jordan didn't look great either. So that was certainly one of the moments that I thought lost this game. I think if the Lakers had changed their rotation a little bit, you could have actually gone up during that stretch of the game. It was only about three minutes or so. Again, they only gave up three points at that point. They were down two when that group was put on the floor. They were down five when that group came off the floor. But I think they missed a major opportunity to actually go up a little bit and give themselves a little bit of cushion in the fourth, and they could have certainly used that. So I agree. That was just not a good rotation there. I don't know what Vogel was thinking when he put that group on the floor. Again, I've said it all along. He's limited in terms of who he's got. But you can't, under any circumstances, you can't take all of your offensive creators off the floor in THT, in Westbrook, in Anthony Davis, and expect to get by with that group and still win the game, given the way things were going. Uh, Joel Hernandez says, refs have been making terrible calls against the Lakers. For example, Chris Middleton called jumping into the defenders. Yeah, if you saw Frank Vogel, he was he was literally turning red. He was going full, full uh, Kool-Aid man on us. And... It was noticeable. Like Frank Vogel is a pretty even keeled guy. He doesn't get that fired up. He doesn't go full Bruce Arians or anything like that. He tends to stay pretty under control, but Vogel was hulking out. Vogel was not happy. He was angry, angry Vogel, probably about as angry as we've seen him. Part of that might be the stress of needing to win a game and those being critical moments, but it did feel like all of the close calls, all of the calls where you said, well, maybe that could have gone this way or could have gone that way. It felt like those all went to the Milwaukee Bucks. I did not think the officials refereed a particularly good game. I thought there were some serious calls that, again, that were close, that they just kind of went, oh, tie goes to the home team. And they gave the ball to Milwaukee a number of times and gave them a number of calls that really hurt the Lakers. And it's really hard when you're the Lakers and your margin for error is as small as it is, right? You go into Milwaukee, you give Giannis 47 which again, I shouldn't say give. Giannis goes and drops 47 on you. You shoot 28% from three and 42% from the field. Your margin for error is tiny. So the referees making any of those calls against the Lakers could tip the scales and ultimately cause you to lose the game. I mean, frankly, with those shooting percentages, it's somewhat amazing that the Lakers were actually in this thing for as long as they were. But again, they had a chance to win it 
And unfortunately, I think the referee's calls may have influenced that outcome. Now, again, it's a lot more than that. It's way more than just the ref's calls, but they loomed large in a game that was as close as this one was. All right, saw another super chat come in. Let me get into that. Uh, Jay Henry said, Lakers should waive or trade or do a trade for Luke Cornett, Boban, or Thon Maker. You know what? I don't think, like, Rob Palenka, I'm sure, is is making calls on trades right now just to start to get a sense of what's out there, what's possible, things like that. But I wouldn't be looking at this Lakers team thinking, oh, okay, let's go make a trade for this player. I'm sure they'll be active. I'm sure they will listen. But they aren't, they don't have a roster that's really set up for a big impactful trade. If you look at the contracts that they've got, like, does anybody really want to trade Taylor Horton Tucker right now? Is that what you what you want to do based on what we've seen happen? Because really he's one of the only like valuable contracts that you could trade. He's making about 10 million. Otherwise, you're talking about trading what? A veteran minimum guy? What are you gonna get for that? Nothing. So if you really want to go get something, maybe you can package THT and Kendrick Nunn and see what happens. But again, THT just just had a double-double 25 points, and he's been tremendous since he came back. He's made the Lakers look really smart for signing him to the contract that they did. So are the Lakers really itching to trade THT at this moment? Probably not. Probably not. So I wouldn't look at this Lakers team and assume that a big trade is out there. I think they'll be active because they always are, and they'll be exploring things. But it doesn't look like they're set up to really make a deal like that. Uh, Landon Archuleta. How do the Lakers come out with good energy to start the game and then it just goes away in an instant? What could be the cause of that? Landon, love it. Landon, that is one of my other big points. So I said there's three areas where I think that this game was lost. One of them we already talked about, or two of them we talked about. Going away from the zone, the lineup to start the fourth quarter, and the energy at the end of the second quarter. That, that was a big, big problem. I, I lost my patience in that moment. You guys know me. I'm pretty patient. I'm pretty level-headed with this kind of stuff. It's what I do. But I even tweeted out in that moment, this team is not trying. Because they weren't. I try to call it like I see it. And that was what I was seeing. Was a team that was not trying. The end of the second quarter was probably the most worrying stretch of Lakers basketball that we've seen. And the reason for that is something that we've seen something similar before this season. We've seen this team get punched and them not punch back. They kind of roll over, right? The Bucs started getting fired up. The Bucs started playing with energy. The home crowd started going and the Lakers just kind of went, oh, okay. Well, you guys can have this one then if you really want it. That was the attitude we saw out on the floor from the Lakers in this one. And that, that, my friends, is inexcusable. That can't happen at any point. You've got to have a little bit more internal fire, a little bit of, no, you know what? You think you're going to steamroll over us? Watch this. And you fire right back at them. And you bring the energy. And even if, even if you're missing shots, you're still selling out on defense and you're doing everything you can to put a stop to it. You don't just start looking around bewildered like a deer in headlights. We saw a Lakers team that suddenly stopped making the extra effort on defense and that suddenly started settling for everything the Bucs wanted them to take on offense. How many times did we see the Lakers just go, oh, okay, lethargic jumper? Yeah, I'll go ahead and take that early in the shot clock. No problem. Nobody going for offensive boards, nothing. That portion of the game, when the Bucs went on a big run, pushed the lead to 11, heading into halftime, I think that, more than any other moment, 
cost the Lakers this game. Because look at how close it was at the end. Look how the Lakers battled back and they were right there. But the problem is, without LeBron, without a lot of your bench guys, right, that you would expect to come in and make plays, and given the way the Lakers have been playing right now and shooting as poorly as they did, you don't have that margin for error. You can't spot the Bucs 11 points. Look, if the Bucs decide they're going to really turn it up, they make a few big plays, that happens. A home crowd does that, right? Sometimes you get a little burst. But what you have to do is you have to mitigate that. You have to prevent that from becoming a double-digit lead. You have to do what you can to make sure instead of 11, okay, that burst from the box, they're getting fired up. It's a seven-point lead, something like that. It's a six-point lead. That's more manageable. And you look at this game, that may have made all the difference. So you can't be the team that gets punched and then hangs your head and says, oh, okay, you guys go ahead. You guys go ahead and do, do what you're going to do. Uh, we'll, we'll just get the next one. No worries. That was kind of the attitude that we saw from the Lakers in that moment. And it was very concerning, very concerning, not something you ever want to see. Now, I will say I was happy that they came back out in the third. They had more energy. They played with a little bit of fire, but ultimately the damage had already been done, right? If this game was close heading into halftime and then they played the way they did in the third, there's a chance the Lakers still win this thing. But I think that stretch of the game, the way they allowed the Bucs to jump up by 11 points heading into halftime, that really hurt and really lowered their ability to win this game. Again, they don't have a big enough margin of error to do that. Maybe when LeBron's back, they'll be able to have moments or stretches like that in games. But this team right now, as it sits, can't do that and expect to be able to battle back and win, win a game, especially not win a game against a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo and a team like the reigning champs, the Milwaukee Bucks. All right, SG323 said, all negativity aside, I love THT. He worked so hard this offseason. Finishing on both sides now is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, look, I and I mentioned this. I said that there's a lot of negative from tonight's game, but there's a lot of positive as well. There really is. There's a lot of positive to talk about too. And Taylor Horton Tucker, he's at the top of the list in terms of positivity, right? Let's just do it. I, I haven't even done my uh, my 360 award yet. Let's do the next man up though. Guess what? It's Taylor Horton Tucker. Again, he keeps winning this award because he continues to be excellent. THT's play has been phenomenal. Now, I will caution this. Last season, what did we see in preseason? The first few games of THT, he went berserk. We were thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's another star. And then teams started to figure out how to play him. He cooled off a bit, and we saw a THT that was a little bit more up and down. Now, again, he's a year older. The Lakers have been seeing his development. They paid him for a reason. He's the fourth highest paid player on the team. I'm not saying what we're seeing right now is not real. I'm just saying, just a little bit of caution. We saw him come out of the gates hot last season and then taper off. Okay? Now, again, he's a year older. By the way, he's turning 21 in a week. He's not even 21 yet. And we're seeing this stuff out of him. So for the people who were concerned, though, saying, why would they have picked Taylor Horton Tucker over Alex Caruso? Why, why did they pay him so much money? The people who rolled their eyes around the NBA saying he hasn't proved anything. This is why. This is why. Because the Lakers believe this is what he had in him. So Taylor Horton Tucker was absolutely phenomenal. Loved what we saw out of him. The shot making, the three-point shot, by the way, it looks much more confident. It looks more effortless. It's just a smoother release that tells you that indeed he put in the work in the offseason and he trusts in that three-point shot. And if you noticed, it worked. And I'm not talking about it worked because the shot was going in. The Bucks defense, if you're paying attention to this, the Bucks defense 
was not giving him nearly enough space on the perimeter. So guess what happened? THD knocks in a few threes. The Bucks start closing out on him more. He puts the ball on the, gr on the ground, gets to the basket, has a bunch of crazy finishes at the rim because the three-point shot was dropping. It opens up the rest of his offensive game. So very solid performance out of THT and great thing to see moving forward. He is an extremely talented player and you've got to be encouraged by what we've seen so far from him. Let's take a quick break. You know, sports talk radio can have a major influence on the lens that we view sports through and therefore can influence our betting decisions. If you miss the biggest sports headlines from the night before and wonder how that might impact this week's bets, you can relive the best in sports from the night before with BetMGM Tonight presented by BetMGM. MGM. BetMGM has a live show that does a great job of giving you the highlights from sports while providing a little bit of betting info as well. Just makes you more informed and more confident when you're placing your bets, and it is a lot of fun. It's engaging, it's polarizing, it's relevant. You can get caught up in the sports betting world with a heavy dose of entertainment. Host Quentin Mayo from NBC Sports Washington and Ryan Horvat from 1250 AM The Fan and Trista Crick are joined by on-site correspondents to bring you insider information in real time. Every detail matters when you're making bets. BetMGM Tonight dives deeper to help give you the edge. It's fun to bet on the game. It's even more fun when you've got the inside scoop. Tune in to BetMGM Tonight presented by BetMGM. Listen on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All right, uh, somebody said Braun needs to come back. This isn't funny funny anymore. Well, from what we've heard Friday against the, the Celtics, he's probably going to come back. By the way, let me hype this right now. Let me just mention this. So Keith Smith, who's my co-host over on the NBA front office show, which you guys should definitely go watch and make sure you subscribe to uh, if you don't already, on Friday, because he is a Celtics guy. And don't worry, he's a great guy. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He's a good friend. And, uh, and so we're both going to be watching the, the Lakers and Celtics game. And then after that game, he's going to come on this show with me. So we're going to break down the game together. And this will be the first time I've ever had an opponent's fan on the show with me. And it's going to be a lot of fun because Keith thinks very much like I do. He's very level-headed. So he's not going to come in here and talk smack or anything like that. Don't worry about that. We're going to give you just a fair and honest breakdown of the game, but I'm very excited. So our live show Friday after the game, we'll have both Keith and myself, and we'll break down Lakers versus Celtics, and hopefully LeBron will be back in action for that one. Uh, Fabio L said, Trevor, why aren't the Lakers getting foul calls in the paint? For instance, AD had zero free throws and Dwight gets hacked every time. Part of that is the rule changes. Part of that's the rule changes for the... Um, the new season where the, the league is allowing a little bit more fouling and I'm for it. I'm hundred percent for it because it means we got rid of the Trey young fouls, the the James Harden fouls. Those guys aren't going to the free throw line like they used to. In fact, I should look and see, I know the Hawks played tonight and they actually beat the Celtics. Should look and see how many times Trey young went to the line tonight. In this one, they beat the Celtics 110 to 99 Trey young. Oh no, I hope it's not back. He went to the free throw line 10 times in this game but um i'll take a little bit more physicality in the game if it means you're getting rid of some of those cheap fouls the the fouls that aren't really fouls where you know the offensive players just doing everything they can to get the whistle to blow i'll take getting rid of those but there were some moments again i thought the officiating i don't want to say it was entirely one-sided but the calls that were close it felt like they just automatically went to the bucks and that included fouls in the paint All right, 
let's talk a little bit about the 360 award because I wasn't sure where we were gonna where we were gonna go with that one. So the 360 award, and by the way, guys, I am saving the super chats as they're coming in. As they're coming in, I'm saving super chats, so I'm gonna get to more of those in just a minute. But the 360 award, okay, the best of the Lakers star players. So Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis. Which one was better? Man. I thought this was going to be a good Anthony Davis game. I thought this was going to be a chance for Anthony Davis to really step up and really show out and defend Giannis, and he did not do that. Giannis went right at Anthony Davis so many times that even though even though AD's stat line was not that bad, the optics of the game and the fact that Giannis dropped so many points, Anthony Davis, nine, uh, 18 points, nine boards, four assists, two blocks. That's not bad. Nine of 15 shooting, that's a, that's a decent game. But he really got burned by Giannis a number of times where Giannis just went right into him, bumped him off, and finished right over him. Um, that's not a great look. So I'm going with Russell Westbrook for the 360 award on this one. And it's particularly because it's not the 19 points. It's not the 15 assists, although that is nice. It's the three turnovers. Because Russ, early in the game, committed turnovers, right? In fact, I think the game started with a Russell Westbrook turnover on their first possession, and it was the same kind of stuff we had seen, forcing passes that weren't there. And then the second half, they made an adjustment. And if you watched, Russell Westbrook was focusing instead on getting into the paint, and then he wasn't trying to make the optimistic cross-court pass to a shooter. He was just kicking out to whatever the nearest shooter was and then trusting that player to make the decision. If the closeout got there, that player was putting the ball on the floor and then swinging it and making something happen off of that. If not, the player was shooting and they did knock down a few and that's part of how Russell Westbrook got his 15 assists. I thought it was a nice change. They simplified the passing for Westbrook and cut down on the turnovers. And this is something that I mentioned on Twitter. Uh, turnovers, if you look at them, the Lakers, on average, score about, well, a little bit more than one point per possession. Okay, one point per possession. So essentially, and I know the turnover's already baked into that number, but just to simplify things, every turnover is minus one point off of your point total every time you, you turn the ball over. And then you factor in that when it's a live ball turnover, like say Russ throws a pass that's not there and it gets stolen. That's a live ball turnover. And then you're giving a team a fast break where their points per possession goes through the roof, right? Transition scoring opportunities are so much more valuable than half court. So if you're getting a team into transition with the turnover, you're probably getting scored on, on the other end. So not only are you taking a point off of your eventual point total, but you're also giving your opponent a better chance to score. So you turn the ball over enough and you're in big, big trouble. Turnovers will absolutely kill you for those reasons. And so I thought it was a big deal that Russell Westbrook, they simplified the passes and he was able to, to eliminate that. He didn't turn the ball over in the second half. That's big. If, if Russ could play like this, and I see somebody uh, in, I see somebody in all caps saying uh, he played under control. Yeah, if you got this Russell Westbrook every game, He'd be much more serviceable. Would there be as many highlight reel plays? No. But is that really what the Lakers need? Probably not. You know, this is a thing that we see in football too. You've got the quarterbacks that have the cannon of an arm that can throw all the way down the field, that can make these insane throws, but also will turn the ball over sometimes. And then you compare them to the guy that's just a game manager, that just makes the easy throws, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, keep the, keeps the ball in play, gives the ball to his receivers, trusts the receivers to do something with it. 
and goes from there and doesn't go for the home run play all the time. Well, is that guy getting on the highlight reel? No, but their team wins an awful lot. I think that's kind of the point guard the Lakers need Russ to be and not the home run guy. And I think in this game, to Russ's credit, he did a much be much better job being that guy instead of the fancy guy. We'll see. We'll see if that's something that could stick. <laughs> Somebody said Patriot way. Yes, I did actually have Mac Jones in, in mind when, uh, when I was thinking of that little analogy there. All right. Let's talk a little bit about somebody said Trevor never never criticizes the roster makeup. I uh, know, actually I criticized the roster makeup already on this show when I was talking about how small the Lakers are at the other positions. That's 100% the makeup of the roster. That's been a challenge. You know, people want to talk about Frank Vogel and 100% you can complain about Frank Vogel and the way they started that fourth quarter that was awful. That lineup was terrible and that's a mistake by by Frank Vogel put that on him. The energy at the end of the second quarter, the effort, if that ultimately rolls up to the coaches and the coaching staff, put that on them, right? On the flip side, the Lakers also took a good defensive coach. We know, I don't think there's any question. Frank Vogel is a very good defensive coach, and they gave him a bunch of guys who don't play defense, guys who don't have that de defense-first mindset, guys who are more score-first players. That's an awkward fit. Rob Palika even said it. Frank Vogel's a really good defensive coach. We trust he's just going to figure it out. They gave Frank Vogel all these guys who are square pegs for his system and said, make them fit. Make them fit into a round hole. So the roster makeup of this team is not perfect by any means. Okay, There's some real challenges, and particularly when you're missing the wing players that going into this season, we said you can't miss these guys. Can't be without Trevor Ariza. Can't be without LeBron James. Kendrick Nunn, you're going to need him to handle the ball. So Rajon Rondo isn't an every night player. Nothing against, you know, Rondo hit a few threes tonight. But yeah, part of that is roster makeup. That, and that's a concern. And that's on the way the roster was put together in the offseason. Talent-wise, I think they did fine, finding talent. But the question was always, can you overcome the fit concerns? So far, they haven't been able to. All right, let me dig into some of these super chats here. So I know you guys have been sending them in and I do appreciate them. Okay, Emil Adams. There's a rumor going around that DeMarcus Cousins wants to make another NBA comeback. Uh, so the question is, should the Lakers sign Cousins and wave Jordan if Cousins is actually working to get into shape? He's a stretch five and a big body. Can't do worse. I wouldn't hate it. I mean, look, DeAndre Jordan, he hasn't played the last few games. They haven't really missed him. And he played and, again, looked pretty done. You know, when we've seen some moments, we've seen some lobs from Russell Westbrook to DeAndre Jordan that he hammered dunked. There's some moments of clarity. And that's just kind of age. I can tell you guys, I go through it. I'm not a professional athlete, but I have some days. I, I try to run just about every day. And some days I go out to go for a run and I'm like, man, my legs are feeling good. No problem, right? I feel like 10 years ago. Right? Get out, get a whole run in. All right, feeling good. Other days you get up and you're just not feeling it. You're just sore. Your body just doesn't recover the same way. You can empathize with DeAndre Jordan. I think that's kind of what we see out of him. Some days he's got a little bit of spring. A little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. Other days he doesn't. Today he didn't. Um, I don't know that DeMarcus Cousins is the answer. Let me go there first. DeMarcus Cousins, yes, he can shoot three. Is he nimble enough in pick and roll situations? No. Is he a good rebounder? No. Right. There's there's a lot of negatives that come there. But I also think you're right that 
probably not going to be worse, except the skill set isn't what the Lakers were really looking for. Again, I keep going to why did the Sacramento Kings bring Damian Jones back? He would be a nice fit for the Lakers, but um, I wouldn't be opposed to letting go of DeAndre Jordan if they can find something else out there, kind of a break glass in case of emergency big to turn to, but I don't know that they're there right now, and I don't know that the clear answer is DeMarcus Cousins at this moment. If it happened, okay, it's it's worth a shot, right? Maybe that's just, you just say, okay, it's, we're, we're trying. But remember, you're going to have to pay DeAndre Jordan for the remainder of the season, then pay the guy you're bringing in, if it's DeMarcus Cousins or whoever, and that with the luxury tax on top, that adds up to a lot of money to just kind of go, well, let's, let's just try it. We don't even know if this is going to work. So I don't see the Lakers going down that route unless a really good player gets waived sometime between now and the deadline, and then the Lakers are able to pick up that player. Then maybe they're able to eat that salary. Uh, right Dog said they lost the game because not enough effort, another bad shooting night. AD is not aggressive enough. He chooses when he wants to dominate the game. I mean, yeah, you, you summed it up pretty well, and that's what I talked about. The effort at the end of the second quarter was not there. That was very, very concerning and left me... I was not happy in that moment, I can tell you that. And then Anthony Davis being aggressive or not aggressive. Yeah, it felt like this was the kind of game where Giannis got up to play against Anthony Davis and Anthony Davis did not really get up to play against Giannis. I was hoping there was the play where the Lakers hit ahead to AD and AD got a dunk and Giannis went up and fouled him. And AD, thank goodness, he held on to the rim and his hands did not slip. It's very easy in that moment for your hands to slip off because Giannis fouled him hard. And it sent AD flying and his legs went flying out. And I went, oh man, like if his arms had fallen off of the rim and slipped off the rim, he was probably going to be out for a while. Like it was that dangerous of a play with the way Giannis hit him and the referee didn't call a foul. And I thought, okay, that was a major miss by the referees. Anthony Davis should 100% be angry at them, but maybe this will fire AD up. Maybe this will get him going. And we just never really saw that out of him. And so I can understand why fans would see this game and be frustrated with Anthony Davis that he didn't quite step up the way the Lakers needed him to in this big matchup, especially not the way that it felt like Giannis. Like Giannis took on the challenge and said, okay, let's go and dropped 47. Anthony Davis kind of shrunk from the moment. Let's see what else we've got in here. Nia Timmons said, we need AD to be who he's capable of being. We need that dominant AD in order to win number 18. We don't know what we're going to get from him on a nightly basis. He's too good of a talent to be this inconsistent. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the inconsistency is a problem. And it means that your margin, again, we talk a lot about this margin for error. The Lakers margin for error is very, very small, right? Um, that's what we talk about all the time. When we look at roster construction, we look at a team, like if the Lakers had signed Kawhi a couple of off seasons ago, okay, when they were the running there, we said the big benefit of doing that is your margin for error is so much higher because if LeBron's having an off night, then Kawhi gets going, right? If you're down a star, you've got another guy who can step in. That was the idea with Russell Westbrook coming in, but the kind of messy fit has kind of limited the impact of that. So when we talk about Anthony Davis and the energy kind of waning and waxing, the problem is that you don't have that margin for error. You need 90% AD for almost the entire game instead of 70, 75% AD for, or what, maybe 85% AD at the most 
for 50% of the game and the other 50% you're getting like 60% version of Anthony Davis. You just, you don't have a high enough margin of error to do that because Wayne Ellington shot one for seven because Malik Monk shot one for seven from three, right? If those guys both shoot four for seven, then okay, then maybe you survive Anthony Davis having these kind of up and down moments and then you wind up still winning a game. But when the other guys aren't chipping in, you really need Anthony Davis to say, okay, guys, climb on. I'm going to carry us all through the win. And we just didn't see that out of him in this one. Uh, Matty James from YouTube said, trade AD for Giannis. Giannis gives effort on both ends of the floor and seems to be everywhere on every play. Did you see anything tonight that would make you think the Bucks would be receptive to that? I didn't. Like the Bucks aren't trading Giannis to begin with, right? He's their franchise cornerstone. He's connected with the community, won a championship there. He's won MVPs there. All of those things matter too. I mean, look at how much Damian Lillard matters to Portland. And who's been with the with the Blazers forever. The Bucs want Giannis to be that guy. So even if, like if the Mavs called up and said, Luca for Giannis, okay, you might be able to say that's pretty close talent-wise, right? They're both young, future, all that. They're not going to do it. The Bucs aren't going to say yes because Giannis matters a lot to them, even if you can say the talent is even. We didn't see anything tonight that said Anthony Davis is better than Giannis. In fact, we saw the opposite. So you call up and make that call. If you're Rob Palenka, there's no way the Bucs are even entertaining that idea. Much less, I mean, take out all the politics and LeBron and Anthony Davis being friends and all, all that kind of stuff. There's no chance that they're doing that. Oh gosh, Jason from YouTube, AD for Ben Simmons. No, that's that's going the other way. That's where the 76ers would call up and the Lakers could not hang up the phone fast enough. And I don't and I don't hate. I do not hate Ben Simmons at all. Uh, I think that he got way too much hate last offseason. Maybe you can hate the way he's handled things, but as a player, I don't hate him. Um yes, there's some there's parts of his game that are frustrating and all that. I think in general NBA fans are too down on Ben Simmons to the point where they're not giving him any credit for what he does well, especially Philly fans right now. But that's not a trade that you make. That's 100% not a trade that you make. Somebody said, Trev, AD's gameplay is more lobs inclined, but teams have learned that by now. Well, part of that too is Giannis has those extendo arms and that tends to block off lobs. And that's also why Malik Monk shooting one for seven from three, Wayne Ellington shooting one for seven from three. Like, how do you open up those lobs and how do you take away those lobs? So if we're looking at things from the defensive side, when you're running that pick and roll in order to get Anthony Davis diving to the rim and open up that lob, where how teams will shut that down is they will have the weak side three-point defender. So let's say you've got on Anthony Davis's side of the floor, you've got Malik Monk camped out uh, in the corner. His defender will tag Anthony Davis just enough to where if that lob is thrown, he can put a little bit of pressure on him and not let AD just go up and catch that unopposed, right? So that defender is coming in. That's where if you're, let's say you're Russ and you're coming around the screen and that's the situation, you see the defender from the corner, from the weak side corner, come in and tag AD to cut off that lob attempt. That's where you're firing the ball out to Malik Monk, to Wayne Ellington, whoever it is, and they've got to knock down those shots. And if they're not, well, then that's a win for the defense. 
And so that's why the three-point shooting is going to be critical so AD can get those open lanes for those lobs because next time you run that play, if Monk knocks down that shot, the defense is going, oh, well, we can't really leave him. And you get that little window of opportunity to throw that lob and get it. Alice from YouTube said, at least we showed up in the third quarter and competed. Yeah, somebody mentioned this. Somebody uh, sent me a message on Twitter about this. Said, was that the best third quarter we've played all year? It might be. The Lakers have been snake bit during the third quarter of just about every single game. And tonight, they made up ground. They were down 11 heading into the third. They were down two coming out of it. This might have been the best third quarter of the Lakers season. So there's a positive. Right? There's a positive. Paul Perinello, can the Lakers make the playoffs this year? Of course. Of course they can. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that's a question. We are still very early in the season. Uh, we haven't had a healthy team here that we've seen. And there's a number of guys that are about to come back. Austin Reeves is probably not that far away from coming back. LeBron James, of course, the big one coming back on Friday. Uh, we think, fingers crossed, Friday. Kendrick Nunn, hopefully, although there's been a weird silence around him where we're just not getting many updates on what's going on there. But hopefully Kendrick Nunn does get back sooner rather than later as well. And then we can see what this team's really got. Because that's the other piece to this. Like, I know right now we hyperanalyze all of the games and it's early in the season. So we react to a lot of the things that we see and we try to project out and we assume that the problems that are there now are just going to exist forever and it's something that has to be fixed through a trade somebody getting cut firing a coach or, or whatever but i think we also have to keep in mind that we have not seen this team really play the way they've been constructed to play we haven't really seen them together and so it's hard to know exactly what they've got and what they don't now that being said not having a full team doesn't excuse hanging your head at the end of the second quarter and not playing with effort. That's something that could carry over throughout the season, and you've got to address that, whether that's a coaching thing, players thing, whatever. Okay, so I'm not saying all of the, I'm not saying you write off everything and just say, we don't know what this team is because they didn't have all their players. I'm just saying it's a factor in the overall evaluation of where they're at right now. Uh, Benjamin said, why don't we get just get Phil Jackson? Trade for Lillard, Giannis, Steph, and Luca. According to some people, it's just that easy. Ben, I didn't know where you were going with that at first. I thought, is he really seriously saying get Phil Jackson? And then I got where you were going as your as your message went on. Yes, it's it's not 2K. Okay, trades are not easy in the NBA. Even trades that on the surface we think, oh, this is simple. In order to get a trade approved, it's not even just GM to GM. Owners get involved right? Because they're paying these guys salaries. Owners get involved. They've got to make decisions on trades. Sometimes an owner just says, I really like that guy. I don't want that trade to go through. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins got traded to the Pelicans because uh, the Kings owner, Vivek Randadive, he loves Buddy Heald. So he said, sure, I'll trade him to the Pelicans for that. And DeMarcus Cousins got traded, I think it was during the All-Star game, got traded and Buddy Heald came to the Sacramento Kings. That happens sometimes. Ownership gets involved. There's other voices in the front office. It's a lot. It's a complex thing. It's not like a fantasy trade, right? Where somebody shoots you a trade offer, you go back and forth a couple of times and you say, okay, done deal. And you plug the guy into your lineup for that weekend. That's not the way it works in the NBA. Trades are very, very complicated and very hard to um, create. In fact, there are way more trade discussions 
than trades that actually happened by far. Out of all the trade discussions that happened around the NBA, a very, very small percentage of them actually go down. A lot of it is just fact-finding, teams talking, figuring out what other teams are looking for, putting pieces of a puzzle together. Actually getting to a completed trade is a very long and very difficult process. Somebody said game over written in a pixelated way uh, on his super chat. Uh, no, we're definitely not there yet. We're not there at this point. Joel Hernandez from YouTube said thoughts on the Chandi Brown edition. Well, first of all, good for Chandi. Um, I, I'm glad that he's getting this opportunity. He's a guy that we saw quite a bit in summer league for the Lakers. Looked really good there. Uh, played well in his one game that he's played so far for the South Bay Lakers. And now he's getting a chance to really play for the big team here on a two-way contract. The Lakers did wave Siku Dumboya, but it's not because they didn't like him. It's because he's hurt. And they looked at their roster right now and they said, eh, we've got a lot of injured players right now. We may find ourselves in a break glass in case of emergency situation where we have to put in a two-way player uh, to play some minutes. And if Siku's hurt, then obviously we can't use him. And so they cut him from the two-way contract and they gave the contract to John D. Brown. And now he will get an opportunity to earn some minutes for the Lakers and, and prove himself. And we'll see. We'll see what comes of it. I like him a lot. He was one of my guys to watch heading into the season with the South Bay Lakers to see if he could develop into something. Uh, 6'5", but he's really a wing. Uh, he's very strong, very powerful player. Shoots well from deep. Hustles. If he was 6'7", 6'8", he's in the league, right? Like that's that's the thing. If he's 6'7", or 6'8", he's in the NBA. He's a wing on somebody's bench right now. He's good enough to do those things. He's just a little bit undersized at 6'5 to be a true three slash four. But I do think he's a guy to keep an eye on. And, uh, you know, hopefully he hopefully he makes the most out of this, uh, this two-way contract. Somebody said Ben Simmons for Westbrook. I don't think the 76ers are doing that. Doesn't really, um, doesn't solve any of the 76ers problems that they've got with uh, Simmons in terms of the lack of shooting. I'm seeing people say trade AD for Carl Anthony Towns. I don't know that the Wolves are looking to move Carl Anthony Towns. Also, if you're upset with Anthony Davis's defense, wait until you see Carl Anthony Towns, who's also not a good defender, uh, but he is a good player. Uh, he's a little bit younger than AD. I would be surprised, but I, I don't see it happening. He's not nearly as switchy as Anthony Davis is. I don't think I don't I don't think the Lakers would do it. I don't know what the Wolves would say in that scenario. I guess it would depend on how Towns is feeling at the time. But I don't think it's something that that happens. A comment from YouTube said, Trevor, with 80s injuries up to today, do you think he should dedicate himself to the center position? He's not the same player that he was uh, when he was healthy on the Pelicans roster. Well, he's not the same player that we saw in the playoffs in Orlando what, a little over a year ago where the jumper was automatic, where he really had the energy on the defensive end of the floor. We've seen him actually get bullied a little bit defensively this season, which is a surprise. Uh, we haven't seen him be defensive player of the year version of Anthony Davis, who was playing at that level. We just haven't seen that out of him. Uh, we've seen it for spurts, but not entirely. I think that ultimately playing center is going to be his role moving forward, but I think you need a little bit more size next to him. I think you do. I don't think that Anthony Davis surrounded by four guards is a good lineup. Now, the Frank, the Frank Vogel, the Lakers, they don't have many other options. They don't have a big that they can turn to to play next to AD that can also stretch the floor. That, that's kind of that big power forward type. Um, they just don't have that guy. And so LeBron can do that a little bit because he's you know big, strong dude. He can play the four. And he's going to give you better 
uh, power forward stuff than what Carmelo Anthony is going to give you. I like Carmelo a lot, and he can come in and score off the bench for sure. But LeBron's going to give you that more physical presence. But it does feel like they're kind of lacking that guy, whether it's like a Markeith Morris, somebody, somebody like that along those lines. They're lacking that player. Even a Jeff Green or something, I think, would make a difference next to AD and would allow him to be a little bit more successful there. Somebody said, are we doomed? No, no, not doomed. Not doomed. Step back from the ledge. Things may just be okay. Seems good shooters turn to bad shooters on the Lakers. How much of this is shooters not being able to shoot in rhythm in Vogel's offense? I think some of it is just shooters not making shots. I don't know how much of it is the rhythm of the offense. I felt like they were getting good looks for the most part and just not knocking them down in tonight's game. Uh, but we have seen teams or players struggle to shoot when they come to the Lakers. Carmelo Anthony was shooting well away from Staples, not shooting quite as well. But I don't know that the shooters the Lakers have are not going to be successful long-term. We've seen them get hot. They beat the Miami Heat because the Lakers shooters were hot and they were hitting. Tonight was just not that night. AD is the type of dude that's got a ring and has no more fire. You can't tell uh, when it's going to happen with a guy until it happens. Well, hopefully that's not the case, that it's not, well, I already won one, so now I don't need to go all out like I did. Uh, hopefully that's not the case with Anthony Davis, but there does seem to be a definite downturn in terms of what we've seen from him so far this season. Trevor, why don't they play Jay Huff? You know, I'd have to go back and check the injury report. I don't believe Jay Huff was with the team. For this one but you could argue why not bring him out there i don't know that he's the like is he going to give you the physical presence on the interior that you'd be looking for i don't know i'd have to see more of him and i have a feeling that the lakers at this point just don't feel like they could throw him in to a winnable nba game to a competitive nba game maybe if they brought him along you could try him in garbage time a little bit try to work him in with the team but i don't know that he's quite ready for that just yet we'll have to wait and see maybe he is but like the, a close game against the Bucks is probably not the time to say, hey, two-way guy, go hop in there and see what you can do. Somebody said Carmelo is not effective as a starter. He's more effective coming off the bench. Hope none and Melo can be a one-two punch. Yeah, Carmelo Anthony was not intended to be a starter. He wasn't. That wasn't, that wasn't the reason why you brought Melo onto the team, was not to start. You brought him in to come off the bench and to score and be a microwave guy to come in and just get buckets. That's what you were hoping for from Carmelo Anthony. And I think when he's been coming off the bench, he's done that. That's part of the issue here for the Lakers is you've got these guys that you were brought in with something specific in mind. And then you had injury, 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 injury. So then you had to go to these guys where their role was going to be very simple and it was going to be off the bench and suddenly tell them, oh, sorry. Now, instead of just doing these two things and playing off of LeBron and coming off the bench, now, because all these guys are out, we need you to do these five things and start. That's a big ask. And, and frankly, it's probably too much to ask for some of the two-way guys on this team. And that's what we got. Trevor, do you think it's all, this is Chris from, from Facebook. Trevor, do you think it's all because of the pressure of playing in LA? That's why shooters tend to get cold when they're part of the roster. I don't know if it's the pressure. I mean, that depends on the individual. That depends on the individual. Some players might succumb to the pressure. Other players won't. Other play players will rise to it. Um, is it a factor for some of them? Probably. Some of them, it might just be bad luck. Just shooting is not always a sticky thing season to season. Right? We saw it with Danny Green, right? He shot 
I think it was 44, 45% from three with the Raptors, came to the Lakers, shot 37%. Then it went back up, right? Like it, sometimes three-point shooting can just yo-yo and it's not necessarily the Lakers as the reason why that happened. Um, but I do think there's probably something to it where for some players, the pressure gets to them a little bit, but I wouldn't make that assumption for everybody. Uh, Ryan Craig from YouTube said, I'm not upset about this loss at all. Well, good. I'm glad you're not upset about it, Ryan. And hopefully, uh, hopefully most of you are not too upset. And if you are, hopefully you've been able to vent a little bit in here. Oh, Laker Nation for life from YouTube with Super Chat says, what is our real problem? Trevor, what's the real problem? It's not just one thing. I've said this a bunch. It's not just one problem. It's not like we can just go... Russell Westbrook is the problem. Run him out of town and the Lakers will win a championship. No, there isn't a cure-all. Or fire Frank Vogel and the Lakers will win a championship. It's not one thing. It's a lot of things. A lot of things. It's injuries. It's the team not having time to gel together. It's Frank Vogel making some weird rotation decisions. Yes, there's times where it drives me crazy too, where a guy's red hot and he goes, oh, cool. Take a seat over there. Go cool off. No, keep him in. He's killing it. That kind of stuff, right? That's that's a factor. Anthony Davis not playing up to potential, especially like tonight, it was obvious. That's a factor. Russell Westbrook's turnovers, that's a factor. I talked earlier in the show about why specifically those are so damaging and why it's encouraging that he went away from the turnovers, that he stopped doing the stuff that was causing him to turn the ball over. And I thought he was much more effective in the second half of this game because of it, even if there wasn't as much flash or sizzle to his game. It's a lot of things that have come together to create some of the problems. Now, the question for the Lakers is how many of these problems are solvable? Add offensive rebounding to the mix. That's another problem that they've had. They've been one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the NBA or given up the most offensive rebounds, I should say, in the NBA. That's another piece to this. So it's a lot of these things coming together. I think some of it is solvable. Some of it based on the personnel on the team right now is probably not. But if you can fix enough things, you can jump up a few levels as a team, right? If you can patch over enough of these things, and maybe LeBron does that. Maybe LeBron is enough to bump them up a few levels because he solved some of these problems just by being LeBron James. But it's a number of problems right now that are creating the situation the Lakers are in at this moment. And unfortunately, this is the downside. We talked about this before the season started. The downside to having the easy schedule early is if, like the upside is, you get a little bit of time to get your legs under you and kind of figure things out against teams that won't punish you as much. But if you're struggling and if you lose some games to to some teams that you shouldn't have, then you're in trouble. This is this start to the season will haunt the Lakers at the end of the season, telling you that we're going to be looking at the standings with a month left, left in the season. And we're going to be saying, man, if they had just won those two games against OKC, man, if they had just beat the Wolves, because I say this all the time, But the key to finishing in the NBA the way you want to, the key to finishing in the standings where you need to, it's not beating the good teams. It's beating the teams you're supposed to beat. That's all you have to do. Take care of business against the teams you are supposed to beat and you're going to be fine. If you don't do that, it means you've got to go out there and beat teams that are really good and that's much more difficult to do. Much more difficult. And the Lakers' second half of the schedule is a more difficult schedule. So when you don't take care of business and beat the teams that you should, you put yourself in a tough spot later on down the road.
And that's the concern. That was the concern going in with the Lakers having their easy games early was what if they really struggle out of the gate? What if they really can't get things together? What if a few guys get injured? And next thing you know, you've dropped some games to some bad teams and you can't get those back. You didn't put those wins on your record when you had the opportunity. And so they're just gone. You don't have that anymore. So that's the concern moving forward. That means the Lakers are going to have to win multiple games against teams that you wouldn't expect them to beat on nights where you wouldn't expect them to win the game. They're going to have to have a lot of those to make up for this start that they've had. I know that sounds super negative, but that's just that's the way it goes. And that's my whole theory around the NBA is you have to win the games you're supposed to win. And if you're good about doing that, you're going to drop some games every now and then. But overall, if you're good about winning the games you're supposed to, you're going to be in good shape. Uh, Trip Tom from YouTube said, I miss Reeves. That energy is contagious. I do too. I do too. I'm hoping that he'll be back soon. And I think that with Austin Reeves, like when Austin Reeves comes back, when Kendrick Nunn is back, is Bazemore getting minutes? Probably not. Like there's a few guys who probably aren't getting minutes if everybody's healthy that are in the rotation right now. So we'll see. Somebody said Reeves rotations helps us a lot. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've I passed this on to you guys before. I told you about this. Uh, the game against the Miami Heat, the plan, from what I've heard, was not for Kent Bazemore to be in the starting lineup anymore for that game. And instead, our guy was going to get a shot at it. Yeah, HBK. But then he happened to get hurt right before that one. So rough timing, but he does make a difference when he's back. So we'll see. Hopefully he does heal up. Hamstrings can be tricky, so it's going to be important that he hire, that he um, is able to heal completely and come back. All right, guys. Somebody asked this. JC Munoz. Trevor, do you think John Wall and Russell Westbrook trade is possible? Uh, Shannon also mentioned on their show. I joked about that trade with the Lakers Nation staff tonight on our group text. I joked about, would you trade Russell Westbrook for John Wall? And would the Houston Rockets do it? Would the Houston Rockets rather pay Russell Westbrook to play for them or continue to play, pay John Wall to not play for them? Now, the Rockets are in a completely different spot than the Lakers are. They're looking to uh, get draft picks. They're looking to develop young talent. So they're not doing this trade regardless. They're not. But again, we haven't seen John Wall play this season. Who knows how healthy he is? Um, I don't I don't know. Like, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. I know there's been frustration with Russell Westbrook, but are we sure that John Wall would be an upgrade? I don't know. <clears throat> All right, let's do one more. Let's do one more. Somebody said, where's Ron Gutterman? Your host team selections are like Vogel's lineups. Ouch. No, hey, look, I've got Keith Smith coming in next show. Ron's been busy in the evenings, and so that's why he hasn't been able to come on, on these shows. All right, last one. Okay, we need to talk about this. Uh, Kashawn Edwards says, good evening, Trevor. Well, good evening. Zubats, Randall, Brandon Ingram, Clarkson, Zoe, Kuz, Caruso, Hart, THT, 2019 through 21 first round picks plus cap space. Is that worth where we are now? Yes, 
a hundred times out of 100 yes because they won a championship you can't i've seen people present this argument and i think we've even talked about this on here before that oh my goodness the lakers look imagine if they just kept all their young talent yeah they'd probably be a first round out right that's probably what they would be if they had all of those guys there's not a 1a guy in that bunch and i love those guys lonzo's been tremendous this season he just lit up the lakers brandon ingram when he's healthy he's been great Ivica Zubats, it kills me that he's on the Clippers, right? Still, they got, got feelings right here for all of these guys. They're great. But the reality is that the Lakers don't have a 17 championship hanging in the rafters at the Staples, soon to be crypto.com arena. Uh, they don't have that if they keep the young guys that they had. And so because of that, because they won a championship, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. They got that championship. And you know what? We can't just assume that, oh, they're not, they don't look good right now in this moment in November. And that means they're, they're never going to win again. And they're just doomed for the future. Does their future look great? I mean, look, they've got some older players. They also have a lot of flexibility, cap room moving forward. They've got some things they can do. Yes, they're missing some draft picks, right? Going forward, they'll lose their pick this year to the Pelicans. They'll lose one more pick to the Pelicans, but that's about it. Okay, one pick this year, one more pick after that, and then they'll they'll have all their picks. So when you ask, would you give up all of that for where we're at right now? Yes, because of where we've been. They won a championship. You've seen high caliber play out of LeBron James when he's been healthy. There's frustrating moments for sure, but this league is about winning it all. This team is about winning it all. It's about winning championships. And the Lakers did that. They weren't doing that with a bunch that they had. 30 teams out of 30 teams would make that trade. If you said, give us your young developing talent and we'll give you a championship, they would all say yes. Championships are really hard to win. And the Lakers got one. Not to mention everything else that comes with having LeBron James on your team, right? With the attention that you get, the revenue that you get from having him on the team. That kind of stuff matters too to, to an organization. But just from a fan perspective, they won a championship. What happens after that? It's gravy. They win another one, great. Great. We're just going to bump LeBron up and AD up and how high we hold them in the Lakers pantheon, right? But they already won that championship. That's all you can ask for. It's all you can ask for. So yes, it's 100% worth it. Sorry, that was my, my mini rant there. All right, guys, appreciate you coming in and, uh, and joining me. I know it's tough seeing the Lakers lose. I hope that those of you that were really frustrated with this one got to vent a little bit, maybe feel a little bit better now. Um, I think, again, there were some major positives we saw, some negatives as well. I'm hopeful that what Russ saw today in the second half, Russell Westbrook, I hope, that he recognized that the light bulb went off and he went, hey, if I play this way, we have a much better shot. It's no, it's no coincidence that the Lakers came back when Russ stopped turning the ball over. I'm not assuming that's what's going to happen because we have a long history of Russell Westbrook not doing that. But it was a nice step and it was nice to see. Hopefully that's something that will continue. Uh, again, we saw some negatives too. Some moments that were very concerning, some moments that were upsetting. Taylor Horton Tucker looked great. The energy and effort was not great through a, a key stretch of the game. Some of the rotation decisions were not great. But again, there were some positives. There were some negatives. Ultimately, it's a loss. 
But I'm going to feel a lot better if they can get a win on Friday against the Boston Celtics. All right, everybody. appreciate you joining me. And uh, make sure you do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Ring the notification bell as well. Till next time. See ya and stay safe.